I'm going to preach this morning from the theme, Dreaming in Prison. Dreaming in Prison. As I begin my message today, I'm reminded that there is a stereotype about preachers, Reverend Whitehead. I'm not sure if you have heard this, but people say that we never shut up. (laughs) And as a preacher and as a wife of a preacher, I can tell you with absolute accuracy that this is 100% true. (laughs) If a preacher says to you, long story short, go ahead and take off your shoes, put your feet up, You're going to be there for a really long time. And let me bless you right now. I know that some of you are already planning your Thanksgiving dinners, and you're thinking that it might be a good idea to invite the preacher in your family to bless the food. Don't do it. (laughs) By the time they are done with their prayer, the turkey will be stone cold, and the gravy will have that gel on the top of it. You know what I'm talking about. And this long-windedness of preachers, it doesn't just show up in our speaking, it also shows up in our writing. I often have to cut down my sermons, delete paragraphs, and strike through sentences because I just have so much to say. But not this time. When I wrote this chapter of the book, Dreaming, the Big Picture for Our Lives, I suffered the most severe case of writing block I have ever experienced. When I went to type, my fingers would not move and try as I might, day after day, night after night, hour after hour, a blank page stared back at me. And I realized that when I was supposed to be writing about glimpses of Joseph's dream finally coming into view, I could only see nightmares. And I wonder if that's where some of you are today. You see, we've spent the last two weeks talking about dreams and and vision and promise and possibility. But what happens when all you can see is a nightmare? After all, we sit precariously on the edge of another great recession. We watched this week as yet another mass shooting claimed innocent lives in North Carolina. And threats of nuclear war in 2022 are being whispered just across the ocean. And that's just what's on the front page. That doesn't include the private challenges or difficulties of ours that never make the nightly news. Because here's the truth. With so many places of despair, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to dream. It's hard to imagine some dot-connecting picture that God is drawing in the future when our past and our present is still so painful. And if you're there today, I want you to know that you are not alone. It's where we find Joseph in the 40th chapter of the book of Genesis, a dreamer in the midst of a nightmare. When we first met Joseph, he was this paradigm-disrupting youngest son whose dream disturbed his entire family. And last week, we witnessed as his brothers threw him into a pit and left him for dead, only to pull him out and sell him into slavery. 
we catch up with him? In the household of an Egyptian official named Potiphar. Because it's here in this scripture that it seems like the dots are finally starting to line up. Joseph rises through the ranks until he's managing the entire household. Genesis 39 tells us that Potiphar didn't even know what was happening. He had full trust and confidence in Joseph. And I am sure that when Joseph lay down at night, he thought to himself, finally, my dreams are on schedule. He dreamed he'd be a leader. He dreamed he'd be a ruler. And just look at him now, leading the household of a royal officer in the most powerful country in the ancient Near East. Dreams do come true. Dots do line up until they don't. Without warning, the dots began to disconnect and what looked like a dream suddenly became a nightmare. Potiphar's wife relentlessly pursued Joseph. And when he wouldn't agree to an affair, she framed him for assault. And now Joseph finds himself in a prison beneath the home of the very officer where he used to be in charge. He can probably hear their footsteps walking around above him, dreaming and living life without him. Now, this may seem extreme because hopefully none of us are living in an episode of The Young and the Restless. No judgment if you are. But that doesn't mean that life hasn't disconnected the dots for us. Because while God gives us dreams, God doesn't guarantee that living them will be easy. For we've all had those seasons where it seemed like the dots were connecting, where things were finally falling into place, and that's when we got the call about the accident. That's when we leave the doctor's office with the diagnosis. That's when the marriage started heading towards divorce. That's when the job started downsizing, and that's when the dream becomes a nightmare. And that's where some of us stay. That's where some of us are right now, but not Joseph. Joseph teaches us through this text three ways to keep dreaming through a nightmare. And the first is this. Don't let your conditions determine your character. Don't let your conditions determine your character. You see, Joseph is in prison and we might expect him to assimilate to the reality of his condition. After all, he's around people that may have committed much more heinous crimes. And this sheltered youngest son doesn't have the street smarts to navigate a dungeon jail. Maybe he ought to change the way that he walks. Put a little bass in his voice. Start going by a new name. I don't know, Killer J. To orchestrate some, some kind of strength and to let other, other prisoners know that he's not somebody to mess with. But Joseph doesn't do any of that. At the end of chapter 39, we have this deja vu moment where we learn that Joseph has been appointed the leader of the prison. Just as he was appointed the leader of his brothers. Just like he was appointed a leader in Potiphar's house. And see, while we often focus on the dream of Joseph, we fail to remember the character of Joseph. Because whether you put him in a palace, 
a pasture or a prison, Joseph is consistent in his character. He will be the leader. He will be the organizer. He will be the person that is trusted. And where God has put him does not change who Joseph is. Because here's the lesson for us today. When the dots seem disconnected, the temptation is to let where we are determine who we are. To let our condition determine our character. If our dream becomes a nightmare, well, we'll become nightmares too. Life hands us lemons, we'll show you sour, angry, sad, jealous, and negative. But not Joseph. Joseph is a leader no matter what, no matter where, no matter who is watching. And it's the consistency of his character that helps him hold on to his dream. That puts him in position for God to keep connecting the dots of the big picture for his life. And so perhaps, perhaps the question for us today is not, are we holding on to our dreams, but are we holding on to our character? If God said that we are a leader, are we leading only when we have the position? If God said that we are givers, are we giving only when we have more than enough? If God said that we are members of the church, are we members only when we agree? Or are we who we are, no matter where we are? As you contemplate your answer to that question, I just want to point out a little challenge, a little fine print in the text, if you will. While being consistent in our character helps us to hold on to our dreams, it's hard to do. When on the surface, our dreams look dead. Because what we don't see on the surface of this text is that biblical scholars contend that the time that it passed between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40 is 10 years. Joseph has been languishing in this dungeon prison for 10 years. That's longer than he even served in Potiphar's house. And each year the dots have not connected. He's still in the same place where dreams come to die. But I think that's where we learn the second lesson of our scripture today. We can hold on to our dreams through a nightmare if we don't mistake dormancy for death. You'll remember last week that I shared with you that we hired a landscaping company last summer to come and do some work around our patio. But what I didn't tell you was that this was an intervention. I should be in a dungeon prison, not Joseph. Because I am guilty of multiple homicides, murdering plants in the first degree. It's hard to admit, but I've got quite a rap sheet. I've killed plants in pots. I've slaughtered entire garden beds. I even managed to kill a tree that the nursery owner swore to me was impossible to kill. I killed it anyway. But, but there is one plant, one plant that has survived even my murderous green thumb. In our first home in New Jersey, there were hostas. 
Some of you love hostas, but to me, they are big and they are boring and they take up all the space that I could use for more colorful and beautiful flowers. You are shaking your head. Amen. Amen. I've got one person who agrees. So one spring, I, I took a shovel and I dug out all of these hostas in our front garden bed and I replaced them with more beautiful, colorful flowers. So a few weeks later, as you can imagine, I came to the crime scene of my garden. Every flower that I had planted had gone on to be with the Lord. <laughs> All except one. Big, beautiful, blooming hostas. <laughs> now, I, I couldn't understand this. How could this plant still be alive? And so I went to my neighbor, a far more experienced gardener than I was, to explain this plant resurrection phenomenon. And he said that I had made a novice gardener mistake. I had removed only what I could see on the surface. And what I couldn't see underneath were the roots that were not dead. They were just dormant. And so when the season changed, new shoots of hostile leaves emerged through the soil because what I thought was dead was living underneath the surface. And I wonder if that's a message God wants to remind somebody here today. I know it's been months. I know it's been years. I know it doesn't seem like anything is happening on the surface. But if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Your dreams are not done. They're just dormant. Your, your dreams are not denied. They're just dormant. Your dreams are not dead. They're just dormant. Because underneath the surface where you and I cannot see, God is still working. God is still tilling the soil, nurturing the roots, digging out the weeds so that your dreams, our dreams can break through to the surface. We just can't mistake dormancy for death. We just can't see what's on the surface and ignore what dreams God is growing at the root. And here's the, the, the last thing that God gave me from our text this morning. That what helps us see dreams that look dormant is hearing the dreams of other people. When we pick back up with Joseph, his dream looks dormant. It's been over a decade since he's been in prison. But because he is who he is, no matter where he is, Joseph has been appointed in attendant to these royal prisoners, the cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh. They had done something to offend his majesty, and so now they were down in the dungeon prison too. And one night, they both have a dream, a dream that disturbs them, a dream that they are not sure is the meaning of. And they're so upset that our text says that their faces were downcast. And Joseph does something that many of us struggle to do when the dots aren't connecting. Joseph does something that many of us struggle to do when our dreams look dormant. Joseph says, tell me your dreams. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. That sounds like torture. 
Because when the dots aren't connecting in our own life, when our dreams look dormant, the last thing that we want to do is hear about the dreams of somebody else. We don't want to hear about the promotion when we're still looking for a job. We don't want to hear about baby number two when we're still struggling to conceive. We don't want to hear about dreams being fulfilled in someone else's life because it's a painful reminder of the unfulfilled dreams in ours. But not Joseph. Joseph says, tell me your dreams. Because he realizes that God is not limited to fulfilling one dream at a time. Joseph says, tell me your dreams. Because God has not placed us in a zero-sum game against one another where only one dream can win. Joseph says, tell me your dreams. Because in God's economy, there is always enough. Enough dreams to go around. Enough dreams to be fulfilled. And and what if? What if listening to other people's dreams helped us to fulfill our own? When you get home, I want you to keep reading through chapter 40 because when Joseph listens to the dreams of the cupbearer, he interprets it. He lets him know that one day he will stand in front of Pharaoh again. Pharaoh, the one person who has the power and the authority to let Joseph out of prison. And so Joseph asks the cupbearer that when he gets to Pharaoh to remember him. He's not sure if he will, and you'll have to wait till next week to find out. (laughs) But he's sure that there's a possibility. There's a chance that this person's dream could wake up his own. This was a chance that a young teenager named Claudette Copeland took on March 12th of 1955. How many people have ever heard of the name Claudette Copeland? Just a handful. Because Claudette was 15 years old and leaving her high school civics class one day when she got back on the segregated bus that took her home. She had read the Constitution that day in civics. And she realized that the world that she was living in wasn't the world of freedom that the Constitution dreamed about. And so when she was asked to give up her seat to a white passenger, she stayed seated. She was then arrested, put in jail, much like Joseph, and another unknown person came to her aid, a preacher named Martin Luther King. He came and negotiated with the police commissioner for her release. But before he did so, he visited her and asked her about her dreams. It would be nine months until Rosa Parks would sit on a bus and implement the same strategy that this 15-year-old dreamer tried nine months before. A dream that changed the course of history in Montgomery, the course of history in our country and our entire world. A dream that may never have been realized unless a preacher asked a teenager, tell me your dreams. 
And I wonder, I wonder if that's not what God is calling each of us to do today. To listen to the dreams of others. To ask other people, neighbors, choir members, children, grandchildren, friends, tell me your dreams. Because maybe, just maybe, their hope is the hope we didn't know we needed. Maybe their dreams are the faith we didn't know we needed. Maybe their dream is the dot we didn't know connected to the big picture that God has for each of our lives. So ask somebody, anybody, tell me your dream.